Hi, Adam is here. This is the second part of the 77th episode, The Competitive Developer with Thomas Wörtinger. And this time we are focusing on the GraalVM. So uh, thanks and now enjoy the show. So my bachelor thesis was, was then on the real stuff. And I was super excited about that. Uh, we had, you know, this conference call with with uh, people from America, from the Java team. Cool. Uh, Tom Rodriguez and and uh, is, is one uh, one guy there uh, who, who was working on C two. Okay. And, so, uh, uh, and so, so bachelor this is what? What about bachelor? So it means uh, this was the assignment, uh, the practical assignment during the university. So you had your work and you were allowed to work on. Hotspot, so the real hotspot. Yes. So the question is, yes. how how that? Because Sun had the research lab in Linz. This is their relation, right? Correct. Yes, yes. Because uh, Sun had a long term research uh, collaboration with Linz since two uh, thousand, and it's still ongoing now with Oracle as well. Yeah. So this research collaboration is for twenty years now, and uh, I was uh, I was the fifth student or so in that collaboration. Cool. Uh, and I was I was uh, allowed to do a project here with Hotspot. And what I did was uh, a rebound check elimination for the Hotspot client compiler. But uh, this was your lucky accident, right? So you studied at the university who was also very into compilers, right? Absolutely. That was a super lucky accident. And, and also that this professor was uh, was allowing me to, to, to do this type of project there. But the, uh, extremely cool. And the Hotspot was, uh, was written in C++, I guess, right? Yes, yes. And you enjoyed the and, uh, assignment yes. or you, you had you cursed all the time about the quality of the hotspot code? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I did uh, I did I enjoyed the assignment because back then I couldn't uh, you know, I, I for me everything was uh, here like um uh godlike, you know, like basically mm -hmm. this is this is just this I, I didn't question any of the code quality because for me everything that I was saying was uh, has to this yeah. must have been the best ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was a good I mean it has a good code quality. Uh it's it's uh it it was certainly um yeah, it uses a couple of C tricks that you need to get used to. Mm -hmm. Uh but uh, but other than that, yeah, it was it was cool. And the and the client compiler is written in a very nice style. Mm -hmm. Um and uh so so I could do this very bounce check elimination. What I was what when I was finishing this assignment, I what was does it mean? Thinking, your your okay. bound check and elimination. It means uh, what what does it mean? So what we if it if you done that? So what what is so, the added value, right? So the added value is that the that the yeah. So Java will and the client compiler just run faster mm -hmm. because uh, when you when you access an array, it was trying to remove the the check on the index mm -hmm. uh, that the index is within bounds of the array, mm -hmm. and if the check is removed, then the program will go faster, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I could I could achieve then on on a benchmark suite like SPEC GVM two thousand eight probably on average like I think even ten percent or something, wow. which uh -huh. is uh, which is quite quite uh, quite okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, so so yeah, and I, and, and I finished that, that that patch. And after I finished it, I was submitting it to the uh, you know hotspot mailing list and everything. And I thought, okay, now now the patch will be integrated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, unfortunately, it took quite some time until it was integrated finally. Uh, so it was only, but it is now integrated. So that pieces, these pieces of code are in the hotspot source base. Okay. Uh, but so, it took uh, it took quite some time from the time when I was finishing it until it was integrated. So, so I think this is the uh, your your bachelor work as a student. So I think this was yes. the the most impactful student work ever. I would say, <laughs> because if you think about this, so your work now runs you know, on all JVMs, right? 
worldwide. So they're like millions that, of that projects. Is, that is true. That is true. But but yes, that is true. But it only runs in the client compiler. Yeah. And uh, the client compiler is yeah, it is. Well, actually, yeah, it's still used as a tier one compiler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but it, is, it was certainly very impactful in terms of in terms of the, yeah because it's in the whole Java universe. So. What was for you Java something special? Like you say, okay, this is really you know the hot stuff right now, or you just uh, use the you optimize the hotspot compiler because it was just interesting task. I think I was optimizing the hotspot compiler because the university collaboration was with some microsystems. Okay. Uh, if the university collaboration would have been with Microsoft, I would be working on the okay. compiler. I got you. Uh huh. And uh, okay, so uh, what you did afterwards? So you you optimized the compiler. So you were so after mm -hmm. that after that I I was uh, for my for my uh, master thesis mm -hmm. uh, I got the new assignment, mm -hmm. and the new assignment was uh, uh, a graph visualization for the server compiler for the C two compiler. Okay, and I really loved that project because. Uh, because it's like uh, basically taking the compiler graph of C2 and like displaying it in a very nice way. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I, I kind of like these visualizations and, and, and graphs, so it kind of combined everything that I like about it. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and this was called the Idea Graph Visualizer. So this was a, a, a graph visualization tool for the Hotspot server compiler. Mm -hmm. But as a side effect, now I could learn also the intermediate representation of the of the of the server compiler very well. So mm -hmm. after these two projects, I had a very uh, very deep knowledge of both client compiler and the server compiler. Mm -hmm. And uh, you like that? So you like know the ideas in Hotspot or? Yeah, I mean, I, I there just there's a lot of great ideas in there, and, and many of the great ideas from there we were then later using when we were doing uh, the GraalVM compiler, mm -hmm. okay. uh, where we tried to uh, in the GraalVM compiler combine the best of both worlds, cool. uh, the best uh, of C1 with the best of C2. And the, gra uh, the graph visualization tool, is it still available? Or how it was programmed? Which like, QT yes. or what was it? It was in Java. Java. Okay. Uh, Java based on the NetBeans platform. And it uses the NetBeans uh, visual library. Cool. And you, you could still use it, run it, or, or, or get it? Or yes. Is it... And you can still run it today. And, and because we later adapted this tool to be the graph visualizer for the GraalVM compiler. Okay. And uh, it's, still, it's still available. And I'm still using it, uh, or the team is using it on a, on a daily basis when we are debugging problems in the compiler. And this graph visualization tool is, is, I think it's absolutely fundamental in terms of, uh, you, like without that, I don't think you could build uh, such a complex compiler, or at least it would be much, much more difficult mm -hmm. uh, because, because uh, like finding problems in the compiler graph is just too hard without uh, such a visualization tool. Because our compiler graphs often can have like, uh, you know, even ten thousand, maybe even a hundred thousand different compiler nodes, mm -hmm. and and then it's just uh, impossible to just print out some numbers on a console. Mm -hmm. uh, you really want to have a graph that you can traverse. Okay. And so yeah, this this tool is still active in development. You can still you can download it today mm -hmm. uh, from the Oracle Technology Network as well. So just uh, drop me a link, and I will put it to show notes. So it could be interesting. Sure, absolutely. Very good. So uh, what was then your next stuff? So you did the visualization tool, and then you know you understood the hotspot. Hotspot. So what was your thinking back then? So it was, okay, what's the next step? Yeah. So so then I was I was I was uh, looking for a 
uh, a PhD topic, right? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there was also, I got lucky because there was uh, the Maxine project at Sun Microsystem, which was the Maxine Research VM. Mm -hmm. And uh, these, uh, the Maxine uh, people, they were looking for interns mm -hmm. uh, in California. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were approaching Professor Messenberg and asked, like, don't you have a student to send us as an intern? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, was, uh, I was very lucky to be then uh, uh, accepted for this internship in California on the Maxine Research VM. Okay, the Maxine Research VM. Was it, was it uh, related to the project called Project Maxwell at Sun Microsystems? I think, uh, I think Project Maxwell was a different one. Because Maxwell um, was the idea. I, I, I found that back then, and I had the refer references to, to, uh, to Sun Labs, but they disappeared. And the Maxwell was the attempt to create Java in, as a Java virtual machine in Java itself from scratch. Oh, yes. No, then it is exactly that one. Yes, I see that. Yes, it is exactly that project, yes. Okay, so Maxwell and Maxine were the same project. Yes, I think they just renamed it to Maxine later on. I just to hear a, a Project Maxwell paper from Bernd Matiske, Doug Simon, and Dave Anger, yes. Okay, perfect. And, uh, yes, and, and Bernd Matiske was the lead of the Maxine project back mm -hmm. then, uh, and uh, Doug Simon uh, was one of the uh, researchers on the project. Mm -hmm. And Doug Simon is now also uh, still on the GraalVM team. He's leading the compiler efforts. Okay, cool. Well, perfect. So you st uh, and and the project was already started, or or, or you started the Maxine project with? Uh, so so how how advanced was it? So the project was already very much advanced. So okay. so the project was almost it could already already run a lot of uh, Java workloads, mm -hmm. and uh, I was I was uh, tasked with a small part of the project. Okay. Um, related to the uh, debug interface. Okay. Uh, where I was, um, where I was implementing uh, the debug interface uh, for for the Maxine uh, virtual machine, but for me this was uh, very exciting because it was like a first time Silicon Valley, and uh, I was I was just uh, really hyped to to go there and and to prove myself uh, in that in that environment. What was your very and, first impression uh, of California? So you arrived at, and uh, so you have, you know, you had some, you know, you, you imagine something in Austria, how how it will feel like, you know, the Californian feeling. Then you arrived there. So what was your first impression the first two days? Um, so I was like, yeah, my impression was like lots of cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, because because like everything's very big in Austria, yeah. you like much smaller. I would always walk to my work, for example. Yeah. Right in California, you always need the rental car. Yeah. Um, but then also, I mean, weather-wise, of course, always sunny, which yeah. is very different as well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think these are the the two main impressions for me. Okay. And uh, where was it? Uh, was it in the uh, in the um... Sun Labs, right? In the it New York. Man Menlo, yeah, in Menlo, Menlo Park. Yeah, there's no right now, now Facebook, Facebook, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, this is now the Facebook office. Yes. Yeah, Menlo Park. Yeah, um, nice. Yeah, back then it was still back then it was still a nice office with small offices and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I was recently visiting it also at Facebook, and and they moved everything into open office space. Okay. And uh, basically ripped out all the walls. Oh, okay. So uh, back then, I think it was uh, much more pleasant because we had small offices and and uh, and could like uh, better concentrate on our work there. And you liked the team from the beginning, so it was like a nice environment to yeah. work. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it was a nice environment to work. We also had like seven different interns from all over the world. Hey, cool. And mm -hmm. so it was fun as well. And we did, you know, 
typical Yosemite hikes, etc. Hey, cool. And uh, the uh, what was the motivation for Sun to start the vaccine? As I remember, James Gosling mentioned it once that uh, they need to do it because to make it simpler and uh, that Java could optimize Java. And the idea is that one point could, could be run faster than the static C or C++. This is my understanding of Maxwell or Maxine. Um, was it correct or what, what was the main motivation back then? Yeah, that was the main motivation, really, to just prove that Java can be used as a system language piece and like, that like this meta-circular optimization of itself will lead to higher productivity, right? Mm -hmm. So you will be more productive when you create the virtual machine, etc. Right? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and that's, uh, that, that was back then the, the motivation for Mixi. Mm -hmm. and, and the Gradian project, you can think of as the, as the successor of the Mixine project or as, as the project that finally uh makes the Maxine vision a reality. And uh what is the relation between Maxine and Graal? Was it like you know succession or was it like a heartbreak and you know starting over? What's is it like you know is is Graal via Maxine actually? Um you can think of it this way. Mm -hmm. So so what, what happened was that well I did a second internship the next year afterwards. Mm -hmm. And in that second internship we were replacing the Maxine compiler. Mm-hmm that was uh, written from scratch mm -hmm. with uh, a new version of a compiler that we call C1X because it was the client compiler mm -hmm. from Hotspot. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, from, and and we, we transliterated it from C++ to Java. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, were your bound checks optimization included? was in this compiler or was not included? Uh, they were not yet included. Oh, it was okay. not yet integrated in Hotspot, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, because it took a couple of years until they put it in production. Okay. Um, but, um, but yeah, but, 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 but it was basically, and I did, I did that work uh, of, of, of doing this, uh, this translation, this source-to-source -source translation, mm -hmm. which means I was literally like going, and it was a manual process, so I was literally going over every single source line of the client compiler. <laughs> Okay. This is and now called tran transpilation, right? This is what the cool kids are doing with JavaScript. Right. Like they transpile, um, how it's called, yes. uh, TypeScript to JavaScript. So you did it, you know, with uh, C to Java, right? Yes, yes. There was a transpilation from C to Java. That's right. Yes. <laughs> okay. And, and, and then, and then uh, uh, later on, uh, when I was then joining Oracle Labs after my PhD, I was joining Oracle Labs full time. Mm -hmm. I was joining the Maxine project, right? So when I was starting, I was joining the Maxine project. Okay. And uh, but then we changed the direction of the Maxine project because we found that well, doing everything in Java like is is might be too ambitious as a first step. Mm -hmm. So why don't we just focus on the compiler being in Java and hook this Java compi compiler written in Java mm -hmm. uh, back into Hotspot. Mm -hmm. And in this way, we can profit from all of the, all of the great runtime system of Hotspot and, and, and we only need to worry about the compiler part. And when we did that, we took this C1X, this, this uh, client compiler written in Java, Mm -hmm. And we hooked it back into Hotspot. Mm -hmm. And at this stage, but this is also not the Java C compiler. This is the compiler which compiles the bytecode to the intermediate language, right? Correct. Yes. This is this is the JIT compiler mm -hmm. that is uh, compiling the bytecode to machine code, not Java C. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, but the Java C uh, compiler so, so it was always in Java, right? That is correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yes. Cool. yes. But but here here we're talking about the just-in-time compiler, which is the system software piece that is really generating the machine code in the end. 
But uh, why you get something out of it? So if 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 the if the uh, JIT compiler is written in Java and the hotspot uh, optimizes the stuff, I mean the 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 most advanced or the the the, the most performance boost you would get from the hotspot, not from the JIT, right? Um, so, so you get a better performance if the JIT is producing better machine code. Oh, okay. So the quality of the machine code the JIT produces is typically the main determin determinant of performance. Oh, okay. So I would not everything. Mm -hmm. There are, there are some parts of performance like garbage collector or, or sometimes the runtime system performance is also relevant. Mm -hmm. But the first the first level of performance is coming from the code quality of the cheat, uh, meaning how, how good is the machine code that the cheat produces for your Java code. Garbage in, garbage out. So if the JIT produces poor code, the hotspot cannot optimize it a lot, right? This is the idea. Well, hotspot doesn't optimize the code anymore. It just installs it in the code cache. Ah, so, okay. So if... If if the cheat produces machine code, Hotspot will just it will just execute whatever the machine code says, right? Okay. Um, so Hotspot is 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 it starts to interpret the methods, right? Mm -hmm. And when a method gets hot, so a method becomes important, yeah. then that method is sent to the cheat compiler, ah, and the cheat okay. compiler gives back gives back the machine code, and then Hotspot installs that machine code, and then instead of calling the method in the interpreter. Hotspot will just jump to that piece of machine code. What I thought is that the JIT, you know, produces the uh, the, the code and and puts this over to Hotspot, and Hotspot looks at the hot methods and then optimizes by itself. But the Hotspot is more like no, no, no. it delegates back to the to the JIT. So you are right. Then the Hotspot yes. really does not matter a lot, right? In this particular case, it's yes. like yes. it's like yeah, okay. yes, yes, okay. Yes, it only matters when sometimes this machine code needs to jump to the runtime system because there's a complex operation or there is a lock, for example, locking. Mm -hmm. uh, and in these situations, uh, the runtime system's performance can also matter. But but the main level of performance comes from the chip mode. Okay, cool. Uh, from the chip code and and from the quality of the chip. And and so so this was and and and. And and here this this C1X that you put into Hotspot, we also replaced the uh, the front end intermediate representation with a new intermediate representation, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and this is then what we call the Graal compiler. Mm -hmm. So the Graal compiler is like the uh, the what you port. So actually, you are one of the fathers of Graal, right? Because you actually ported or transpired the C code to Java. And then uh, it runs and passes to Hotspot, and then there is a new intermediate representation. So, right? So you're one of the fathers of Graal, you could tell us. Yes, yes, yes. So, so I'm, I'm one of like, I mean, you can say the, the, you can say the father of Graal is Sivon. Okay. <laughs> the Sivon compiler. Okay. <laughs> because, because, because the original code comes from the Sivon compiler that yeah. I was translating from C++ to Java, mm -hmm. and and then and then. Uh, and then we only replace the front end, mm -hmm. the back end uh, in terms of the the register allocator, for example, or or the the low level intermediate representation is actually still the same as Sivon. So there is there is large parts of of Graal, of the Graal compiler that is the same as as the Sivon compiler. Mm -hmm. And the intermediate representation, uh, you you say you 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 adjusted the intermediate representation. What means you had also to adjust the hotspot or not? Uh, no, no, no. We did not adjust hotspot at all. So the intermediate representation is the first. So, so we adjusted the front end of the compiler, meaning mm -hmm. the intermediate representation that is created from the Java bytecodes. Okay. So the Java bytecodes are 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 parsed into this first level of intermediate representation, mm -hmm. and then we do the high level optimizations, mm -hmm. and then we 
we we transform this into the low level intermediate representation mm -hmm. we do low level optimizations and then we do register allocation and then we create the machine code and then only the final machine code plus some metadata is passed to hotspot okay okay so and this compiler uh, among one of the interesting things about the compiler is that we put it back into hotspot but we still also have it work in Maxine. And the Maxine project is a research project, is by the way continuing. There's like a, a university in, in Manchester mm -hmm. uh, that, um, that is um, working on that. Mm -hmm. so, so, so there is this nice interface between the compiler and the runtime, which is called JVMCI, mm -hmm. uh, JVM Compiler Interface. Mm -hmm. um, and this enables the compiler to be reused in hotspots, but then also in the Maxine virtual machine. Okay, nice. And uh, so, so you work on the on now now on GraalVM project, and uh, so you achieved the pure Java, let's say, uh, uh, compilation. And in one point of time, uh, I think you recognize it could be more than just this, right? Or was it clear from the beginning that Graal could become the polyglot environment? Yeah, no, that that wasn't clear from the beginning. Uh, the beginning was just a mission to just do the Java compilation, exactly. uh, Java mm -hmm. JIT compilation, but then. But then I always had the ambition to also execute JavaScript. And partly that is because JavaScript was my first language. So I like JavaScript. So you wanted to, to have and the gaming the, script experience in Graal, right? Exactly. That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and another reason for that is that uh, right between my university and joining Oracle, I was working for Google on the V8 project. Mm -hmm. that was working on the Chrome browser's JavaScript engine. Uh, back then, it was called Crankshaft Compiler, mm -hmm. uh, which was the compiler that I was together with a few uh, people from the V18 grading. Mm -hmm. And um, how big was the team so at Google I had, back then with for the compiler? At Google, we were making we were, we were creating this compiler with four people. Okay, so mm -hmm. I was one of them, mm -hmm. and we were four people in total uh, to to create this uh, Crankshaft uh, compiler. And mm -hmm. we did it relatively fast, and I was actually amazed by how fast it would then. Put it into the into the Chrome browser, mm -hmm. and um, uh, but but so I I had this experience with uh, developing this uh, JavaScript compiler, mm -hmm. uh, JavaScript G compiler at Google. Mm -hmm. So uh, now I, I uh, when I was doing the JavaScript compiler etc. I was like, well, there seem to be so many components here that are the same. Mm -hmm. uh, between the Java JIT compiler and the JavaScript compiler, JIT compiler. Mm -hmm. why can't we create one JIT compiler that can run both languages? Mm -hmm. Because it seems a total waste of effort to create a new JIT compiler for every new language. Yes. And uh, so, so that was that was the motivation behind it. And so I was then like trying to like um, get get budget for this idea, but we actually didn't get much budget for it because because management back then wasn't like. Um, they were not. Uh, they were like, "Oh yeah, let's fin finish this Java thing first, and then you know we can we can talk about other stuff." But it wasn't easy to create excitement on it. Yeah, and and, uh, and, so and they had have... already Nassau, right? That's also the problem. There was Nassau in place, so it's like, okay, we already have JavaScript. So what you're talking about, probably right? I exactly, exactly, mm -hmm. and kind of what's the business case? Yeah, exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so we didn't have a lot of resources for that, but. Um, so, so that was actually how we were forced to find a solution that would be uh, that we would be able to do with very little effort. Mm -hmm. And um, originally, we were thinking, okay, 
let's just take the JavaScript and then we convert that into Graal.ir and then we create machine code from this and, and put it to hotspot, right? And Graal.ir is Graal thing. Intermediate Representation, right? So what are you talking about? Yes, okay. correct. Okay. Graal.ir is Graal Intermediate Representation mm -hmm. and it's the representation we basically get out of the Java bytecodes. Mm -hmm. And and this was the original thinking and we even started this this these experiments, etc., to do that. Um, but the problem was that this turned out to be quite complex, and and the JavaScript is not a real match for 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 the crawler R directly because JavaScript is very dynamic, and the crawler R is like designed for Java bytecodes, which is typed, so it has fixed types, etc. Mm -hmm. And so so this this kind of failed in the sense that we figured out this is this is too complex, it's not going to work. So instead of doing that, we then came up with this idea. Uh, based on inspired uh, by the PyPy project. So, so mm -hmm. the PyPy project is is the project that does this uh, trace compilation for uh, for Python, mm -hmm. and it does so by doing sort of a partial evaluation of that Python code. Mm -hmm. And um, we now saw that we can use this partial evaluation uh, also in in the context of executing here. Um, the these uh, like 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 here to 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 automatically create the machine code from a JavaScript interpreter that is written in Java. Mm -hmm. So instead of directly converting the JavaScript to the crawler R, mm -hmm. we are we are instead writing a JavaScript interpreter in Java. Mm -hmm. Our compiler already knows how to process Java bytecodes. Say it again. This is the last five seconds you lost. So, um, so, so to write Java a Java interpreter for J uh, JavaScript. Yes, yes. So it was to write a Java to to write a JavaScript interpreter in JavaScript. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The idea was to write a JavaScript interpreter in Java, mm -hmm. and now the definition for this interpreter is Java Java bytecodes, mm -hmm. and we already know how to translate. These Java bytecodes to the crawl IR because mm -hmm. this is the main thing we're doing all the time. Mm -hmm. So uh, we can just do a special type of compilation for hot JavaScript methods mm -hmm. where we are creating a, a special type of compilation under the assumption that the interpreter would execute just this one method. The interpreter would execute so, just one method. Mm -hmm. Just just this one specific JavaScript okay. method. Okay. So so we would we would like you can the interpreter itself is written in a way that it can execute any JavaScript method, right? Mm -hmm. So the interpreter has like a root method that says execute and mm -hmm. it has a parameter which is the JavaScript method it's currently executing, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, typically when you would create machine code for that, you would just create machine code for this execute method and the the JavaScript method that comes in is is just a parameter to that method, right? Mm -hmm. And what we do here special now is that if we see that this method is called this interpreter is called very often with the same JavaScript method. Mm -hmm. So so the same JavaScript method is called over and over again, mm -hmm. then we create a compilation of this execute method of this JavaScript interpreter mm -hmm. that is specialized for this JavaScript method that is executed so often. Yeah, but in one point so of time, of you invoke the method with different types. You have to reject the compilation to do it again, right? Yes, yes, yes. But so, so in, in this in this setup, 
we are basically treating the JavaScript method that is coming into as a parameter to this Java method. Mm -hmm. We are uh, we are uh, treating as as a as a constant instead of a parameter. Mm -hmm. But something similar. This is what Nasson also did, right? So they they looked at how the JavaScript was executed, and if they assumed that there is a specific um, you know uh, um, parameters in which are have types. And then just optimize for that. And and if the program uh, program was you know invoked uh, differently, they rejected and did it again, right? Right. No. No. But that, that's not, that's not what I'm what I mean here. Okay. So so it's not about the types of the program. Okay. It's really about the the so 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 the way the way Nasson works, right? Is that it would it would generate Java bytecode mm -hmm. for each JavaScript method. Yes. So, so it takes a JavaScript method and then creates Java bytecode from that, mm -hmm. and then it executes the Java bytecode that is newly generated. Mm -hmm. So with Gravium JavaScript, we never generate Java bytecode dynamically. Mm -hmm. So the JavaScript methods are always only interpreted. Mm -hmm. So so there's only one Java bytecode definition of the JavaScript interpreter. Mm -hmm. But there is never like if I add a new, if I load a new JavaScript method. I, I do not generate new bytecode. I will just also interpret this JavaScript method in the same uh, interpreter. Mm -hmm. So and, uh, uh, and just to summarize, to summarize, so what you did uh, in Gravium is the following. So just uh, you wrote a JavaScript interpreter in Java and then compiled the interpreter and what, what you got is the Graal IR, which is treated the same as a Java code. And uh, what... What what I'm thinking right now is is actually genius because you could use Graal to optimize the interpreter which interprets JavaScript altogether, right? So you could actually use that to self-optimize whatever is executed there, right? Yes, correct. Yes, that yeah. is accurate. Yes. Yeah, and then what you're talking now is just like a specific case where if you you get um, a specific method of the interpreter and you pass to this method the JavaScript method. And uh, then you have the if the if it happens you know a lot then you know this is the hot method and then you can optimize right yes correct yes yeah, cool okay this is actually genius this is like you know uh, the 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 NAS was NAS one was very simplistic but I mean for me it was also some somehow similar but but bottom up and and in your case you 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 say okay we have the all optimization engine so what we can do is actually to interpret JavaScript all the time. And use our own GraalVM technology to optimize, right? Yes. So, so we would use the existing GraalVM compiler technology to optimize. Yes. Yes. Um, and 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 in this way, we would we would avoid this code generation step, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that the Nasson approach was simplistic. The Nasson approach would be the traditional approach, how you would uh, execute the language on the JVM, mm -hmm. uh, where you translate that language into Java bytecodes, mm -hmm. um, and and we avoid that step. By, by, um, by just um, by by doing this this multiplexing into multiple methods, mm -hmm. not at the Java bytecode level, but when we optimize the the JavaScript interpreter that is written in Java bytecode, mm -hmm. and Would... and this has various advantages because because the problem is with with generating the bytecodes is that it is uh, putting a stress on the on the metadata of the JVM. Mm -hmm. And also the bytecode that is generated first is first called, so it, it is interpreted, so it's not very fast. And 
So, so we like the approach we take here is actually less intrusive to to the hotspot runtime system. To the hotspot runtime system, everything looks pretty natural. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that looks strange to the hotspot runtime system maybe is that for this interpreter entry function, so for the entry function of the interpreter, mm-hmm. we might install a lot of different versions of the machine code. Because we, we install the generic version of the machine code for the interpreter entry function, and then we install specialized versions of the machine code for each hot JavaScript method. Mm-hmm. But for this for this entry method of the of the interpreter function, ah. but but it's still just it's just a, it still uses only the the Java bytecode of the interpreter as the definition of the semantics. So what uh, the, the question what I understood is so first you are just calling you know your own interpreter, and then you find out so the interpreter is for me like a command pattern what I understood. So you're calling you know you 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 you're passing the JavaScript function and and it is executed. In one point of time, if you call yes. it a lot with the same parameter, so you 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 yes. somehow freeze the entire interpreter as a specialized function, and then you have one generic interpreter, and then you have one like frozen interpret interpreters with for specific functions. This is how it works. Yes, correct, correct. Yes, absolutely. That's how it works. Correct. Yeah. Yes, and and in this frozen interpreter, we can now when we create that compilation, right? We can now treat this parameter that's coming in not as a parameter but as a constant. Exactly. Yeah, that's. And this makes this makes us this makes us uh, much better to optimize the whole interpreter for this specific function. What I'm asking myself, so you you've you've you started Maxine, you know, to optimize itself. So for me right now, it should really be more like almost machine learning or magic because you had a lot of so J, the JVM optimizes itself. So in, in, inside the JVM, you have your interpreter which uh, which is optimized by the self-optimizing JVM. So you could in one point of time, I would expect you know that you become surprised how well something gets optimized without any additional you know doing right. Well, sure, sure. That would that would be the best case. I mean, in generally for us nowadays is that that the more we put optimizations in Gravia, mm-hmm. uh, the the faster also the Gravia compiler goes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so be, because it is compiling itself. Okay. Um, but, but but that is but but that that meta circularity in Gravium actually comes from another thing, which is which is the native image. Mm-hmm. Uh, one question back to uh, the we... to the interpreter. How you achieve that, that your JavaScript interpreter is so compatible with the recent ES6? So this is like you were, so how you did it? Or oh, not uh, ECMAScript yeah, so versions, we, not yeah, ES6 yeah, is small... old. Uh, ECMAScript versions is what I meant. Yeah. ES6 is old, so the, the, the recent one. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, so, so we have a small but very, very effective team on, on JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so the, the, the nice thing for us is because we only need the interpreter. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, so there's only a single point of definition for all of the semantics. Mm-hmm. It's it's much easier to add new features to it mm-hmm. uh, compared to uh, adding such a feature to V8 or or to Nashorn. Mm-hmm. It's much easier because because you only need to change the interpreter. Mm-hmm. And writing an EST interpreter is the most natural way to execute a language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so this is why for us it is. It is easier to keep up with some of these uh, latest features because the largest part of the runtime system, like the Graal compiler uh, or anything associated with it, uh, has needs zero changes, uh, even if I change a lot in my JavaScript. So, no, f- a funny story. Um, a couple of years ago, so um, I don't know when it was, when GraalVM came first out and uh, on the GitHub there was not even an image for Mac. This was this time. So um, I installed uh, the uh, the Graal and forgot about that. 
And uh, what uh, happened is uh, my old NPM and Node builds run on Graal for one year, and I and it was very compatible, so there were no issues at all. But in one point, I upgraded something, and I look at that, and and I did like you no know, Node version, whatever, and I, and then fi- found Graal. It's like Graal, and and then it, it without any knowing, you know, I, I run you know all my all my JavaScript stuff on directly on Graal. So and this was my a big moment and said, this is actually crazy. So I was able to use all the JavaScript features on Graal without uh, without any compatibility issues, right? So this is why I'm asking you right now because this is very, very compatible with JavaScript. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are, we are 100% compatible with the standard. We are, we, are, we are executing the standard test 262, but we also are testing every week uh, more than 100,000 Node.js modules. Wow. So every week we are we are running the tests on those and make sure that we uh, get the same results as the standard Node.js. Uh, are you? What is the performance? Is it comparable to stand, standard Node.js? So we still have issues with the startup performance. Mm-hmm. So the startup performance is certainly substantially worse, unfortunately, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are working on 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 mitigating that. Uh, in terms of the peak performance, it is uh, comparable. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it depends. We have some applications that run a bit faster, some that run a bit slower. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but the peak performance is certainly comparable. Over time, we think that uh, I mean we have a very like server style approach to our compiler. Mm-hmm. So in terms of peak performance, I think we will be able to to be better mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the startup uh, question, we are experimenting with ways to cache the machine code. So you might be able to do something uh, like uh, like some snapshotting of the machine code in the future. So 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 to also solve the startup problem because on startup we are worse because uh, we like here this having a specialized VM helps V8 mm-hmm. um, because they have a specialized compiler. They don't need to do this partial evaluation step, mm-hmm. and the partial evaluation step is still adding some level of abstraction, therefore some additional time to the initial JIT compilation. But what you could do in future, you could use, you know, use JavaScript to communicate with Java and, and R, which is not that possible on Node, uh, on V8, right? Yes, correct. Yes, yes, yes. It, yeah. This is one of the, the... There's currently two main use cases where you would use our Node.js. Mm-hmm. One is this language interoperability. If you want to use JavaScript or Node, but you still have some Java library that you want to use, mm-hmm. um, or if you have some R library that you want to use, that's one... Uh, case uh, where like uh, Gradium shines and the other one is where if you have a very large heap requirement for example mm-hmm. and you want to run this JavaScript with the hotspot garbage collectors uh, then uh, that are typically better on large heap settings then this would be a second reason to run the Node.js on mm-hmm. us and we recently just had for JavaScript itself we had a blog article I think uh, today actually going out uh, that shows the um, performance for server-side um, server-side uh, React rendering uh, mm-hmm. that is uh, very good with Gravium. So server-side uh, React.js rendering is another uh, potential use case here for Gravium's JavaScript at the moment. And this could be really interesting because what you could do is you could have a server-side rendering, let's say, uh, I guess you use Next, Next something or, or React uh, server-side. And uh, then you could even, you know, access from JavaScript, uh, Java code, you know, to, uh, pr- to to fetch some data from database and pre-render the stuff on the server, right? Yes, yes, exactly. 
So this is what you get the whole enterprise integration for free and, and you know, modern front-end technology with um, uh, back-ends, uh, yeah, which you could reach out and, and call whatever you like. It's interesting. And um, the R language, is it also similarly uh, integrated like JavaScript? Like you have a uh, Java interpreter for R, which, uh, which is basically command. Yes. Okay, this is exactly the same approach for all languages, right? Yes, yes. Same approach for R, for Ruby, for Python. And also similar approach for LLVM Bitcoin. Yeah. And uh, one of the things we are working on at the moment uh, that we will um, publish soon as well is to use the same approach for executing Java. Cool. So a Java in Java in Java. So uh, what it means is, so the truffle, what it means is, this is like uh, a, a environment where you get access to all the commands. So you can call from one command to another command. This is how it works? What do you mean by command? You can you can call from one language to another language. Yeah, but how this works? You need something like an environment, which has access to all the commands. I mean the uh, you know the one interpreter in in JavaScript, one interpreter which or interpreter is just a method representation in JavaScript. There's another method representation in uh, in, in in R. So I need an environment where I can call the other interpreter. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so so the way it works is that, well, one thing is from one language, you can evaluate an expression of another language. Yeah. You can just uh, call polyglot.eval. Yes. Uh, and then you type the language and then you type an expression. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that works is we have like, a, and then like you can import export symbols into a global environment. Yeah. That works like a hash table where you can export the symbol of a JavaScript method, for example, and then you can import it into your R program and then call it. Yeah. But at this point of time, you have like the host language, like let's say Java, and I use the, uh, I forgot the method, like RHEL, I can execute JavaScript from there. So, and what will happen is like that the uh, bytecode in one point of time will call the uh, optimized frozen or not command or how we call it, the, the interpreter, and you get the, the results back. This is how it works. And if yes. you have Java treated the same way, then, I mean, okay, this is not the issue because you always have to start in one language, and this language it is, is ending being a bytecode in one point of time, and then you can call whatever interpreters you like. So there, it doesn't make any difference whether yes. you're calling you know, R, JavaScript, Ruby, or whatever, right? Correct, yes, correct, yes. Yes, and this and this uh, also means that uh, we can even compile a method, uh, like we can even inline between method bound between language boundaries. So you can inline a Ruby method into an R method or an R method into a Java method. But then the There's method really has to be compiled. frozen, like right? So this it cannot be this. this has, yes. has to be the specialized, the specialized version of the method, right? Yes, that is correct. Yes, that needs to be the partial evaluated version of the method. Yes. Okay. Cool. So I understood a little bit about Gralvium. So this is why when we are doing a podcast, <laughs> I think it is impossible to write cool. it down, right? So I think it would be like 50 pages at least in the it, moment. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we have a research paper on that. I think that's, that's the best source uh, for anybody who's interested. It's called pa Practical Partial Evaluation of Interpreters. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and that, that has a very detailed description of the approach. But yeah, cool. it's it's hard to it's hard to communicate the approach very efficiently because it's just not not the usual type of approach one would take, mm -hmm. and and so it, it's sometimes a bit hard to explain. Mm -hmm. So this truffle, this is the name. This is like the additional API yes. which uh, help us, you know, to call. 
the specialized version or the the yeah the specialized versions of the methods, right? This is Truffle. Yes. Okay. Yes, Truffle is the interpreter API. Yes. So so all the languages are built on top of Truffle, mm -hmm. and uh, when you build a language on top of Truffle, you get these uh, optimizations, etc. But you also get some language independent tooling. So we also have debugging, profiling. Uh, and other language-independent tooling that's built uh, in a way that every Truffle-based language mm -hmm. uh, benefits from. And because you know now what is actually used, so this is how it works, the Java interpret uh, interprets JavaScript. So at the end of the day, we know that actually five methods out of 50 are actually used and others are just there but were never executed. So what you can do, so with static analysis, you can find out you know, what is actually used I call it like tree shaking <laughs> in JavaScript. This is like what they do all the time. They remove whatever is not needed. And then I think it's called substrate VM. So you can then say, okay, this is now the subset of all the stuff, what we're actually using. And then you can have uh, provide, you know, the na native static machine code, which uh, which only contains what is actually used. This is how it works roughly? Um Yes, but so this this native image yeah. uh, is done on the Java bytecode level. So mm -hmm. it, it's it's and currently we do this head of time compilation only for the Java bytecode. Mm -hmm. We do not we do not do it for JavaScript let's say. Um, so so this is this is doing a static analysis. Yes, it, it is analyzing from the main method of your Java program. It is analyzing what is reachable, mm -hmm. and then it is head of time compiling everything that's reachable into. Uh, a final binary mm -hmm. and and this final binary is very fast in startup and has like a low memory for print yeah it's amazing because you can yeah, save it, 90% of the memory and a startup so I, I had some you know we had some Quarkus project where we cross compiled into native just for evaluations and this is like the startup time is like unreal 20 milliseconds for simple projects and yeah just something like this yeah Yeah, yeah. The, the startup time is like typically 50x better and memory footprint typically 5x better. Mm -hmm. um, the, the startup time is better because everything is pre-compiled and you don't have like class loading. You don't have an interpreter like interpreting your bytecodes first before they get cheat compiled. Uh, you know, everything is compiled and, and you immediately start with the compiled machine code like you would do with the C program. Mm -hmm. so, so this is why the startup is so much better. And uh, the memory footprint is better because uh, because we don't need the metadata. So so we do not need to load the names of, of like the names of the methods and and, and the bytecodes. Um, and there's a lot of metadata in in the GVM that is necessary to do this dynamic compilation, and we don't need any of that metadata. Mm -hmm. And for specifically for microservices, that metadata can be quite substantial compared to the application data payload. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is why we think that, that this is just a uh, native image is designed for here, uh, Java functions and, uh, and Java microservices. And you can use uh, several different microservice frameworks. Uh, there is uh, Micronaut, there is Helidon, mm -hmm. and there is Quarkus mm -hmm. uh, currently that, that are uh, very well designed for, for native image. Mm -hmm. And we are also collaborating heavily with the Pivotal team mm -hmm. uh, on on Spring Boot support, mm -hmm. so such that Spring applications can all of also benefit from this native image compilation. And uh, what, uh, what you mentioned already is the uh, LLVM support. And what I ask myself, is it actually possible to use uh, Java code 
and cross-compile it to Vasm, for instance, WebAssembly. Have you any, you know, research in this area, or is it completely out of scope of GraalVM? Uh, we do have research in that area. We actually will have an upcoming intern project on this. Okay. Um, and uh, we we had already uh, a student at some point have something that would output instead of a native image would output JavaScript that would be loaded in the browser. Exactly. Um, so so we had that already, but we still had issues with the size of the JavaScript being a little bit too big, mm -hmm. um, and and we couldn't minify it appropriately. Mm -hmm. But I think with WebAssembly and, and maybe minified JavaScript, uh, it would certainly be an option. Yeah, And uh, with native image, currently you, you do have the option to create LLVM bitcode instead of machine code. Uh, so if you want to then later use LLVM or you, you directly want to deploy that LLVM bitcode to iOS, uh, you, can, you can do that. Um, but in the future, I think one interesting thing to do here would be to uh, to uh, to output here uh, JavaScript slash WebAssembly and then run the resulting uh, image in the browser. Yeah, I think the JavaFX guys are doing this, right? So they, they also call, um, use GraalVM to have a native image and, and ship it to Android, um, iOS, and uh, desktops. Yes, uh, Jon Voss from the uh, Gluon yeah, exactly. uh, is, is doing a lot of work in this area. And uh, he is uh, they are using here GraalVM uh, to to deploy with the Cluon tools to Android and iOS. Yeah, which is a really interesting approach because then you can use you know one language Java, and uh, and use uh, the um, to 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 create uh, applications to all platforms. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You can here go to the mobile platforms and and it's suddenly it's it's very efficient there. It's actually uh, more lightweight than let's say ReactJS. Yeah, uh, because um, because you don't have an interpreter there, uh, so from a performance perspective, it, it, it it's it's really uh, fast and, and 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 lean. I think the next the next big thing is actually the WebAssembly because the web assembly not only runs on browsers, it already runs also on uh, so CDNs and caches. For instance, there are, there are companies which are shipping, you know, the uh workers so called workers to uh to caches and they can run on a browser or or uh on on the edge and um yeah and um with webassembly you are running directly in browser very efficiently and uh you could perform interesting tasks so i think uh, this could be a, a extremely interesting project right now because uh, yeah uh we have java high level language and this was very easy to cross compile that to webassembly um, yeah i mean so so webassembly one of the issues we currently have on webassembly is that they don't have a good support for garbage collection mm -hmm. uh so so they do have various proposals there to enable garbage collection in some form mm -hmm. um but this will be the major missing piece for us to efficiently compile to webassembly mm -hmm. um because they are mainly designed for C, C++, Rust at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, so for non-garbage collected languages. Mm -hmm. And um, and this is one of the major pieces of sync and WebAssembly that would have to be added. So the, the Graal output is also LLVM bitcode. So uh, what is what are the other use cases to having LLVM supporting as a, besides you know, iOS and the other? So um, do you have any interesting uh, one One use case here is to, to have uh, the ability to... Uh, faster port to other platforms. Mm -hmm. So LLVM has a lot of different platforms, uh, weird platforms that you might not want to support directly with Graalvium. Okay. And then the LLVM that, that can, can help there. Um, 
and like we did some experiments whether we would get additional performance by running LLVM optimizations uh, before we create the final image. But it turned out that uh, the Graal compiler, the GraalVM compiler is already good enough uh, in terms of performance and, 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 and seems to, for this type of uh, object-oriented uh, code, uh, provide uh, already better performance than what would be achievable by an additional LLVM uh, optimization phases. Okay. So, so, um, but are, other platforms is, I think, the main motivation. So. What What are the next, you know, big steps in GraalVM? So what what do you have to do? So what's <laughs> in the next iterations? The next big thing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of uh, smaller things that we need to need to catch up on. Uh, um, but we are like currently, we got a lot of good uh, feedback from from customers and users on Gravium and um, and from the community. Um, we had a community workshop uh, last uh, November. Mm -hmm. Where we we invited all of the major companies that uh, have work related to Gravium, so we had uh, their participants from Red Hat, from Microsoft, from Amazon, from Pivotal, um, and I think it was a very very energetic two days mm -hmm. uh, where we were discussing here um, the the future directions for Gravium, and so so one of the things we're doing there in the community is to establish now a Gravium advisory board, mm -hmm. where we will regularly meet with participants of of these uh, of these companies and and discuss the roadmap because we want to make sure that Gravium becomes also um, like that more vendors uh, become uh, get involved in Gravium and we can coordinate our efforts there to make sure that it works nice with frameworks etc. Mm -hmm. So, in terms of the the main 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 things for Gravium, um, for Gravium native image, uh, uh, the main goal for us is to improve further improve the compatibility, mm -hmm. uh, specifically to make sure that the Spring Boot applications can be run on Gravium native image mm -hmm. without major issues. Mm -hmm. And this is the focus point and collaboration point we currently have is with Pivotal. I think that's important. Um, the, the, the history behind native image was that originally we thought we would use native image only to compile the Graal compiler itself. Mm -hmm. uh, so because we just wanted ourselves to be not having to warm up on hotspot. Yeah, right. And mm -hmm. uh, only later when we saw, oh, people want to use this really for microservices, mm -hmm. uh, that we then had to uh, do a lot of additional work to make it, uh, to, add, uh, to add support for more features uh etc what what is the and, native and, image and, what what is it technically is it like uh, uh you know pre-compiled java jvm or what, what is it so you, uh, is it like 10 max or which are downloaded if it's a g you have to, to do a gu native image and it's just installed itself but what is it technically this native image uh so when you when you do go you install right you you just you just install the, the Java program that creates the native image. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the native image itself is just when it, it is, it is a Java program that does first the static analysis with the help of the Graal compiler. Mm -hmm. So it is passing all the methods into GraalIR and that's a static analysis of your whole application mm -hmm. to figure out what has to end up in the image mm -hmm. and specifically figure out what from the uh, from the um, TDK has to end up in the image. Mm -hmm. 
And once it has figured out the parts that need to end up there, it is invoking the Graal compiler on each of those methods mm -hmm. and uh, creating a machine code for it. Mm -hmm. and then putting that machine code into a final binary. That binary contains your application machine code. Mm -hmm. It also includes a garbage collector mm -hmm. that is written in Java mm -hmm. as well and also ahead of time compiled. So it does include a, a, a garbage collector, but it does not include other parts of a runtime system that you would typically find in a JVM, like uh, class loading, uh, metaspace, um, or, or, or a cheat compiler, for example, right? Yeah. So, so these things are not there. The only runtime component that's in native image really is a garbage collector. Mm -hmm. And it can also snapshot part of the application heap. So you can use native image to, for example, uh, load a certain configuration objects and then snapshot them into the image. So they are immediately available when you start it. And why I have to install this tool separately? So I have to you know, download GraalVM first and then do the GU native image. So why there are two steps? Um, so this is, a, this is just a, a packaging decision. Uh, also, also has to do with, 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 uh, with, uh, with the, the licensing, okay. uh, where like we, we currently have different, um, uh, different uh, uh, licensing on these components. Okay. Uh, specifically, na native image is, is is still considered as a as a um, early adopter technology. Okay. And uh, if you compare the performance of the uh, native image and uh, compiled uh, but um, compiled uh, bytecode, so for let's say hot methods, how better is the uh, JVM still comparing to the more static native image code? Can you? Do you have a rough idea so how how fast the JVM interpreted code still is? Yeah, so so this depends on the type of code. Uh, I would say between twenty percent to fifty percent faster. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, is this is on the peak throughput side of things, mm -hmm. um, and um, there is uh, a few reasons for that. Uh, some are related to uh, the way our runtime system is built. So, mm -hmm. for example, on safe points, we need to optimize them better. We currently do not use signal handlers for safe points, and we should uh, use signal handlers for better performance. Uh, some is related to the garbage collector itself, where the garbage collector native image is currently uh, very um, basic and uh, does not provide the same amount of throughput. And the third reason is that some of the compiler optimizations on Crawl are just better tailored towards cheat compilation. Mm -hmm. And we are working to resolve all of these three issues. Mm -hmm. uh, we will so very soon have a preview of a, of a Chivon-based garbage collector in, in native image. Okay. Um, and we are also working to uh, remove the issues on the safe point uh, performance mm -hmm. and, and the issues related to the, the um, the optimizations uh, that are missing for ahead of time compiled code. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to reach the same, uh, like same meaning like plus minus 10% maybe uh, performance on the ahead of time compiled code compared to the cheat compiled code. 
Yeah, so the J- yeah. JVM will are... always be faster a little bit, but the native code would be I... almost as fast as the Java, right? Yeah, I do not. I do not think so. I, I really mean here plus minus ten percent. Meaning mm-hmm. sometimes the EOT code might be faster also on peak performance. Oh, um, the there are situations where you can do better on the EOT side of things uh, because um, an example is, for example, uh, instance objects. Mm-hmm. On if the, if the JVM is lucky with the profiling, they can be really really fast. Mm-hmm. But if you have an instance of interface that is very polymorphic, for example, mm-hmm. the JVM will be uh, in cheat mode, relatively slow to perform that instance of check. And in our ahead of time compiled mode, because we know the set of classes, we can make every instance of check in constant time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are there are some scenarios where. Uh, having a hard boundary on the set of loaded classes can be better. Um, and another thing that you're working on for the head of time compile mode is to do better compression of data structures, mm-hmm. uh, which might add, add, add additional performance. So I do think it will really be a plus minus 10%, uh, meaning we can, we will be able to show uh, also better performance sometimes as the head of time compiled. But with, mode. with the native image, you will have to perform lots of optimizations up front without seeing the program actually running. So uh, c- can this be ever faster than the all the possibilities of JVM where the JVM is able to observe, you know, the method execution and uh, apply execution-specific execution uh, optimizations. So in theory, could you reach the performance of, by a- of AOT uh, by, um, or can be AOT as fast or, or even faster than the JVM? I mean, from the theoretical perspective, it's impossible, right? So, so it is. It is true that you have a disadvantage here in terms of not having the profiling feedback information. Yeah. And the profiling feedback information is one part that feeds into the compiler. So now, uh, there is uh, two. There are several points to that. One is you can also do uh, profile guided optimization ahead of time. Okay. We do support that in Gravium already now. So you can create an image uh, and you will be able to create uh, an instrumented image and you run that instrumented image on example workloads and create a profile from that and feed that profile into a head of time compiled uh, this compilation. Perfect. This is perfect. So, I mean, then you can be faster because if you have the information, that is actually genius. So you can run your system like, you know, in, in, in instrumented mode, then you have the profile information, use it for AOT, and then it should be faster. Yes. Correct. Yes. And, and specifically, the advantage here is that in this mode, you have, you yourself are deciding how you train your application. Yeah. Meaning you can... You can, for example, train your application on a corner case because you want to be very fast on that corner case. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, in the cheat mode, the cheat compiler will always optimize for how the application uh, behaves during the startup, mm-hmm. and which might not be always what you actually want. Mm-hmm. So there are scenarios where having this, uh, the, having the cheat compiler actually pick up the wrong type of profiling. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this out of time compile mode, you can be more uh, deterministic also. Mm-hmm. So, so you're less dependent on any startup uncertainties of your application. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that's, that's one of the, the advantages there. So you could but even then, do a little bit uh, machine learning, right? It sounds like machine learning almost. So you could do, you know, you can just learn as you're going and then apply. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one of the things that we are from, from a research perspective, we're going into here is to, 
to maybe have like uh, some of this automated on the Kubernetes infrastructure mm -hmm. where the pro gathering the profiles, et cetera, is like automated. And then you will, uh, you will not have to do this yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you create a native image from profile that was gathered from a previous deployment of that Kubernetes container. Nice. What I uh, what I uh, wanted uh, to know is just uh, the stability. So right now, if you compare the stability of the interpreted or AOT code, are both exactly the same, or or are the cases where uh, the JVM could you know work and AOT would crash? Let's say. Um, so from a stability point of view, it should be very similar. Mm -hmm. It's it's the same compiler that we are deploying there. Mm -hmm. um, we have the Gravium compiler run in production at various companies, including Twitter, since mm -hmm. years now. Uh, we also have it running in production in the Oracle Cloud infrastructure mm -hmm. with millions and millions of machine hours. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we certainly, for for the for the for the compiler itself, have a very high level of stability. Mm -hmm. And the EOT mode is maybe slightly less stable, slightly less tested, I would mm -hmm, say, mm -hmm. but it's still using the same compiler, the same uh, the same mechanisms. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I don't think there would be much much of a difference from a from a stability point of view. Yeah, and, and in like microservice like infrastructures you have something like Kubernetes with no liveness and readiness probe. So at any point of time you did just the pod can be restarted in the next, you know, twenty milliseconds, and you're ready to go, right? So there's not like a lots of risk in such. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know. Just as um, yes, okay. yes, 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 and and this and this and this multi this native image uh, is really something that is encouraging here a design of multi-process scaling. So you scale up your application with multiple processes or multiple containers, yeah. and each container will be very small and very fast in startup. And we think that this is an exciting uh, new type of uh, of way to run Java, mm -hmm. and and we really believe that this is a this is a this is a, an enrichment to the Java ecosystem. And and we're happy to see other other companies like like Red Hat, for example, with Quarkus, or or Pivotal now with Spring to uh, to agree with us on that point and 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 work together to make uh, here a uh, native image and and java work really really well for for microservices i know yeah i can just give you also feedback from my project so uh, the the graal vm is a big thing and uh yeah and what is also important you know marketing you shouldn't underestimate that so what i usually hear you know java java is slow or consumes memory and what I do the first is just you know show with Quarkus for instance right now the native compilation and how fast it starts and uh, you know how 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 small it is and then the whole discussion just stops because they they see you know so there is it, it is actually very very fast and small and then we can focus on 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 the business stuff and not you know talking whether Java is the appropriate language or not. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 here you can now show that with Java you have a choice. You can do the native image stuff or the JIT stuff, depending on your needs. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, it's really a choice for you, and it makes the whole uh, set of possible applications of Java much larger. Yeah. And uh, are you aware of unikernels? Yes. Uh, and we are actually, this is another direction we're going, is instead of creating a native image, we are thinking of creating a unikernel that has your application baked in. Okay. This is what I thought, you know, the first time. So it's like, this would be actually even better that you can just, you know, have like uh, go a step further and have you know the, the whole let's say operating system with your or, or a subset of operating system with the with the application right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We also think this is a very interesting direction. 
and we are we are we have explorations in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, because we won't, I mean, this is what we figured out that after we we got the startup down to these twenty milliseconds, we suddenly okay, uh, kind of the container startup is dominating now. So uh, let's optimize the container startup. Yeah. And and our go- our goal here really is a platform where you can start scale up and down in like maybe fifty milliseconds. Uh, like including your container, or maybe a hundred milliseconds, including your container and your application, and and this would uh, enable very efficient usage of resources because you scale up and down so quickly. Yeah, and uh, with and you have uh, no programming uh, Java programming language on top of it. Uh, another question that regarding the native image: Is there any possibility to monitor that in production? Let's say you know I don't know is it JMX or something similar, so that you can just you know. Ask the native image how it's doing. So currently, I don't think there is much of that, but there is. We do have uh, we do have ourselves some work going on to enable some JFR-like monitoring. Mm-hmm. And I know that uh, Red Hat has proposed to work on some monitoring as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I so there, there will certainly be monitoring in the future. I do not think that you will add sort of JDWP uh, or this debugging protocols on mm-hmm. top. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but at least the the monitoring uh, will be available in some format. Yeah, and and actually you could also get no the profiler information you get from from the interpreter model, not from the native. Uh-huh. Okay, perfect. Yes. So okay. and uh, what, what are you hiring actually? Sure, I mean we are we are always hiring. <laughs> so but then uh, we are hiring. Uh, but then the yeah. students will have to beat you in the programming competition in order to be hired by the GraalVM team, right? Of course, that will be that will be that will be even better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, but yeah, we are we are not, not always not always. It's not it's it's one possible skill. It's not a mandatory skill. Uh, it's not uh, programming competition. is not everything here. Uh, but um, but we do hire both uh, full time and also interns. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, where we have uh, this year actually a lot of interns uh, that are, that we have in our locations. Um, we have a, a very large amount of locations in Europe specifically, mm-hmm. in Zurich, Linz, and Prague, mm-hmm. and our, our main locations there, mm-hmm. uh, where we where, where also the main part of the team sits. Mm-hmm. Um, large parts of the former NetBeans team is also on, on Gravium to help with tooling mm-hmm. uh, in Prague, and 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 I'm very happy about that as well. Uh, so we have a very strong tooling uh, team on the project, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, no, we we always welcome here uh, people who want to join the mission, mm-hmm. um, or also people who just you know as uh, maybe they don't want to be hired, but they want to talk about Gravium or help us in any other way, give us feedback on Gravium. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are really very excited to work with the community. And to get others to to give, to tell us a little bit what are interesting directions, uh, what 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 was what would be kind of good next step, because because we are like you know we are more like a research and core technology team, mm-hmm. and uh, we are not uh, we don't have a lot of experience with with in practice uh, in terms of uh, like running uh, enterprise uh, Java applications on the mm-hmm. team itself, mm-hmm. so uh, we are very. Uh, grateful if people who are deploying such applications in practice uh, give us the right type of feedback so we can uh, go in the right direction and and, and focus the improvements um, on on the right spots. Uh, And there is still, I think, many, many new innovations to come in Gravium. It's it's really just the beginning at this stage. And and I think uh, there will be much more exciting things coming out of the project. 
uh, now that we have achieved the basic uh, level and the first releases, uh, there will be uh, like uh, for sure uh, some more exciting things coming out of that. Yeah, cool. And so where people can find you on the internet or do you have some links for us? Um, so gravium.org is the main website. Mm -hmm. uh, this is this is where we also have a link to community, where we have a link to our Slack channel, mm -hmm. uh, where you can speak with the core team or also you can chat with me directly. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we uh, are on Twitter at Gravium. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on Twitter at Thomas WUE. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm also happy uh, my DMs are open, direct messages are open uh, for any inquiries. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so we are happy to get connected. And uh, now the uh, the last question, the really last question is, so all your speed up, you know, you skipped one class in gymnasium, then you were very fast in study. So did it pay off? Now you really enjoyed the time or you will you take vacations in one point of time or what's, what's the strategy right now? Um, so... It absolutely paid off, and and uh, I mean I'm not I'm not really taking vacation, but I'm enjoying my time here uh, working on Gravia. Okay. Uh, and also actually. So it is actually I'm vacation, a, right? So comparing to to learning is, about operating system and hardware, now you have the vacation, right? Yeah, it, it is. It is kind of like vacation, and specifically now I'm on this uh, longer trip to to uh, Gravium user groups and customers okay. that I'm combining a little bit with vacation. Cool. Uh, so I was uh, I was recently in in uh, Seoul, in uh, Taiwan, in Tokyo, in Shanghai, in Singapore, okay. and currently in Australia, where I will have my next user group uh, meet up uh, next week. Mm -hmm. So one can say I'm a little bit of a tour tour of Asia. Uh, talking about Gravium, and I can also combine that with vacation, and it's certainly more exciting than, yeah, sitting in some uh, school or 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 uh, university course. Yeah, perfect. So lessons learned means you know if you can skip all the classes and then you get vacation afterwards, right? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> so thank you. Bye. Bye, cool. Thank you, Adam. <laughs>